0: Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting His kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m., followed by a second service at 1045 a.m. Today's message
1: is The Church. Is Pastor Philip Thomas. So as we continue today, we're going to continue looking at being rooted in in our faith, um, having a, a strong root system. Uh, we've talked about some different aspects of the, what makes that root system happen and strengthen and grow. Um, we, we started off, if you remember, looking at, at the tree and the, the enormous root system it has to withstand the difficulties of life. And we started looking at Scripture and the importance of Scripture, of how important it is that we, uh, that, that feeds us and learns, uh, helps us to learn more about who God is, uh, about what we believe uh, then we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about who God is, who Jesus is. Last week, who the Holy Spirit is. Um, and and th- these are just kind of little little aspects of our faith that, that really develop a strong root system. And so today, uh, we're going to be talking about where the church comes in and what is the church. And, and I think that's a, an interesting question uh, for, for us today is what is the church, and you know, and I think if you ask that question, you're going to get all kinds of different uh, answers. Uh, some people are going to, to say their own, the name of the church that they go to. So some may say Journey, or some may say, well, First Methodist here, or whatever it may be. Um, some people may say, well, it's a gathering of, of uh, people, a congregation. Uh, some people see it, well, that's my family. You know, that well, there's all kinds of different kind of ways to view the church. Um, I think from the outside, people who are not uh, involved in a church, the way that they will see the church and we fall into this category as well, is is kind of from an institutional view that the church uh, is an institution, so the church is a building if you said, uh, you know, what's a church they may point, well there's a church down there on Avenue C right? Um, and, and then you start getting, I think a lot of people, the reason that we can easily have negative opinions of the church is because that's what we're viewing it through. We're viewing it through this institution. And, and the church, as an institution, there's a lot of problems, right? And we have to, we have to at least acknowledge that, that the church, you know, has done some really bad things. But hopefully you understand that the church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is made up of a lot of people who hopefully claim to believe the same basic thing about God, but it's still made up of people. And so as people, we kind of go about trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to be the church? And, and that's why we get these human institutions that look like the church, right? Because that's the way that we know how to do things. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, Jesus only speaks to the ch- about the church a couple of times, um, you know, uses the, the word church. Um, and, and then you see the church obviously in Acts, but there's not a good manual like there's not a, here's, here's how you organize and set up a church, right? You don't see that in Scripture. And all different denominations, if you've, if you've been to different denominations um, and, or been in the Catholic Church or anything like that, you see how different it is. And guess what? All of that is justified usually by Scripture somewhere, right? Whether it's deacon-led or elder-led or pastor-led, you know, all these things. And, and I think so often... Our mindset, we start seeing the church as that, and that opens us up to kind of become negative about the church because we see all of the problems. Because that's the we're looking at the humanness side of the church, and so I started thinking about that. If the church is important to the foundation of our faith, and we're looking at the church from that viewpoint, that's not very healthy, right? That's gonna that's gonna make our root system kind of susceptible. And, and so I want to look today a little bit at the church and what is it, um, where has the church come, and, and how should we be looking at the church in order for it uh, to, to really make a difference. Um, I, I want to start, and I know some of you may uh, just get up and leave, and I, I encourage you not to, but uh, usually, usually uh, I have like a half a page of, of notes and they're in outline form. Uh, this is for today. So uh, we're gonna we'll be here about in time for our journey Sunday nights to, to start. So, uh, but I'm I'm actually going to to do a little history. All right, I don't know. Some of you probably loved history. Uh, some of you probably hated history. That's kind of history is one of those things, right? You either really liked it or really really hated it. But I, I think it's important whenever we're th- thinking about the church to understand a little bit about the basic history. Of the church, uh, that that can be very important, um, and understanding that all throughout this, you see the humanness of what 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 humans do to the church, and so we can probably say that the church started um, around seventy A.D. All right, now of course Jesus would have been uh, you know around mid thirties, kind of in that time. And the, and the people after Jesus died and rose again, the, the people basically, they continued to worship in the synagogues. They were Jewish, right? What we would call Jewish today. Um, they were Jewish. They continued kind of worshiping with the, the Jewish people and they considered themselves Jews. Except one a group believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah. One group didn't. Well, those dividing lines obviously became deeper and deeper, and then there was a, a split. And so, a lot of people will say around the fall of Jerusalem, Rome came in in seventy, around seventy A.D., and just got rid of the the temple and and uh, sacked uh, Jerusalem. That kind of would be kind of the official start of the church. Now, this is you know kind of fuzzy lines here, but that's basically kind of when it started. We would not recognize that as the church because there were no specific buildings. You didn't get up on Sunday morning and go to a specific building. It was groups of people that would meet in homes at times. Sometimes it was more organized, sometimes it wasn't. But basically it was this movement of people that started in Jerusalem and then started spreading throughout the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this point wraps all around the Mediterranean, so it goes from Spain all the way over to Turkey comes down to you know Israel, then starts wrapping back around and all in in Egypt all of that all that was um, area was part of the Roman Empire and so this group of people started going out and and basically sharing the gospel message but it but they weren't creating buildings they were just kind of creating a new way of living, and they would live together with with these new values that Jesus had, had instilled. And what was amazing is during this time, this was about 70 A.D. to 312 A.D., so a couple hundred years, the Roman Empire went from Christianity not existing to the majority of the people were starting to consider themselves Christians. Right? It's an incredible movement that happened in those first couple hundred years. And again, that's without kind of a building or a structural setting. They had some, but not like what we would see today. Um, and, and this is where you had lots of, of persecution. Rome didn't like this. They, they were a very pagan place. They wanted a, a religion to basically believe that all religions were the same. Right? They were fine with religion. It was all over the place in Rome. But they sure didn't like someone saying, you know what, um, we think this is right, and frankly, what you're worshiping doesn't exist. Right? They didn't like that. And so, so Christians became, uh, at different points, it was, it was more severe at some points than others. But uh, throughout this time, there was a lot of persecution. Then in around 312 A.D., probably the worst thing that could happen to the church happened and that was Emperor Constantine was Emperor of Rome. And he has a vision in the clouds. And if I remember it right he basically had this vision of a cross in the clouds and then they had a battle and he won the battle and he said that must have been uh, God's blessing on me and that that was a a Christian thing. And so he declared the Roman Empire Christian. And uh, now that's a little bit of a cynical view. Maybe he had a true conversion. There's kind of, you know, maybe he it was done out of the goodness of his heart. Okay, that could be. But all of a sudden it radically changed what the church became. Because this had been kind of a movement of people who were passionate about sharing what they knew about Christ. But they weren't necessarily passionate about power or about transforming uh, the government none of that stuff happened, was going on and and it was predominantly poor people it was just it was the normal people right and so they were taking care of each other things like that all of a sudden the moment that the emperor says christianity's the main thing all of a sudden you throw in power and you throw in wealth to the church and and serious money and things start changing quickly some of it ends up good, we're going to talk about that, but you can see, okay, this is going to, going to change. So you can imagine, say you're a Roman senator at the time and you have to stay in good graces with the, with the emperor. And the emperor has just said, okay, now you, everybody's Christian, we're getting rid of all these pagan uh, uh, practices and so as a Roman senator you have all kinds of money, so what do you do? You build a house of worship for to, to worship God in. right? So all of a sudden the church started there started to be buildings and, and they were, were built all over. And and then it became like if you didn't have a building or weren't part of a group that was worshiping in a place, you were kind of nearly discarded. And so you start seeing within Christianity, it's like, okay, how are we going to do this going forward? There's a, a movement within Christianity called the monastic movement that was, you know, is kind of trying to get away from all of that. That movement actually kind of started in this this period because they realized, wait, this is changing, and we need to step back from this. Right? So you, you start that happening, and that goes about to 590 A.D. In 590 A.D., you have the fall of the Roman Empire. Around that that time, uh, this is a a huge crisis for the world because I mean, imagine if today, if like tomorrow, the United States basically didn't exist, like had been overtaken, overrun. Imagine the ramifications, not just for us, but for the world, right? I mean, that would impact the world. Everybody would be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Well, the Roman Empire, who had been around for hundreds of years, was all of a sudden basically defunct. And and everybody was kind of like, what's going to happen? Well, all of a sudden this system that had been growing as the church, all of a sudden the Pope became very well established and kind of came in and was a stabilizing force for the people. Right? And, and all of a sudden now you have the popes who have unbelievable power and you would have times where the pope would actually be the political leadership of an area as well. And it just, it, things, you can just see how things are changing. And so for the next really thousand years from about 590 to 1517 you have basically what we know today as the Catholic Church. It is starting to form. And it is basically, it goes and it creates what is called Christendom. That was all of Europe basically became Christianized during this time. And, and so the church had a lot of power, had a lot of military power, and it would kind of go and, and, uh, and for pagan people, it would basically say, okay, we're baptizing you and you're going to be part of this empire. And so now all of a sudden they're, cre- they're considered Christian. right? You can see some flaws with that. Now, some of those people probably had legitimate conversions, right? And said, no, I, I do believe in that. But some didn't. But you can see the mix of what happens. And it's during this time that you have a lot of the bad things that happen the, um, the crusades, things like that. That's this because power and wealth and, and uh, political uh, maneuvering is all melted into one in the church. And then you have in 1517, and, and so the more power you get, the more corruption that comes, right? We see that all the time. And so in 1517 we have what's called the Protestant Reformation. It's why we're here today basically. This was a Martin Luther uh, came in and, and, uh, and he said, hey I don't like the corruption that's in the church and so we're going to do something different. And, uh, and he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have fit in with what we consider Protestant today but, uh, but he was definitely doing something different than the Catholic Church. And so you, you start having these two different lines. And so now you have bad stuff that happens there because you had Catholics who would kill Protestants and then you'd have Protestants who would kill Catholics. Again, remember, this is all this humanness getting messed up with the church, right? Right? And, uh, and so from there, the, the uh, Protestant movement started growing. You have in 1648 to 1789, kind of this area, you ha- kind of have a different way of thinking. That it's called the age of reason, like where people started thinking about things. Why do things work? You know, um, Well, that was good and it fit with the church in a lot of ways, but then it also it started getting to where people felt it was okay that they could question whether God was really real or not, basically. Right? And the church got really nervous about that. Right? Because now all of a sudden, they didn't have, before they had always had the power to basically say, no, you believe this. <laughs> right? Well now that's starting to change. And so what you have is you kind of have uh, the, the revivalism that starts going. And we see this really impact in the United States. So rather than b- people just being able to say, the church being able to say, hey, this is what you believe, now you had to have preachers, evangelists. That would go out and, and share the message of Christ, right? And, and basically trying to convince people uh, in a good way, convince them, hey, this is the, the way, he is the way, the truth, and the life. But you see how radically different that's starting to form. And of course, that hits in the United States there in the late 1700s. We see lots of that, you know, um, preachers coming out west, you know, and would go, and I mean, that was part of this movement. And uh, and then you know, 1789 to the early 1900s, kind of the age of pro- progress, where the church really has exploded. It, it's done. It's gone to Africa, to South America, um, sharing the gospel. But also, you've seen the rise of secularism within this, and so you have both of those things. And and so now we're in in, in kind of an interesting place in the church where. Um, some some call the age that we're in now, or the age that went up until the 2000 or so, kind of the, the age of, of the ideology, where where churches started kind of developing ideologies. And I think I think there's something to that. Like you can even see in our political system now. There's there's churches that are uh, kind of have a, a Republican slash. Christian ideology and churches that have a Democrat slash Christian ideology, right? I mean I think we can see that where we're all of a sudden, and, and this is where denominations come in, right? You have Methodism has its own ideology, Baptists have their own ideology. Okay, so, so that's kind of, we're, we're kind of getting to the, towards the end of the denominationalism, but I'd say the political ideology is actually ratcheting up now in a, in, within the church world. So, so it's kind of interesting. So you see all of that. That's a mess, right? That's, that's crazy. And, and, and so you look at that, and it really is fascinating to look. But yet the church is still continuing to do some amazing things. How, so how can that be? And so I want to look real quick at the actual beginning of the church. All right. So this is looking back at Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And he's going to ask Peter, uh, or he asked all of them, a very important question. And this is when Jesus actually uses the term church for the first time. Um, and, and, he, and I think we can learn a lot from this. But I want to show, there's just a quick little video. This is where, This is in the area of Caesarea Philippi. And so this is where Jesus would have been and where he would have been talking with Peter and the disciples. And I think this is pretty neat.
0: Well I finally made it to the north of Israel near Dan, a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now this is a large archaeological site containing elaborate building projects by Herod Philip and Herod the Great's grandson Agrippa II. Heard it's supposed to rain today. In addition to magnificent Roman structures, Caesarea Philippi is also known for banyas, a collection of springs and pagan worship sites linked to the cult of Pan. Pan, also called the goat god, was the Greco Roman god of nature, livestock, and hunting. All things related to wild times, party music, and of course, fertility. Pan was the crazy looking guy <laughs> with the hindquarters, legs, and horns of a goat. The centerpiece of this ancient worship site is this huge cliff and grotto containing the remains of numerous altars, caves, temples, and courtyards. This whole area was teeming with Roman mythology and idolatry. It was right here where Jesus, nearing the end of his ministry, asked his disciples one profound question, who do you say that I am?
1: Okay, so that is, that is the setting for this passage. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, he says this, he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a really powerful moment in all of Scripture when Jesus specifically asked the disciples, who am I? And for Peter to make this proclamation is quite incredible. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you see they were standing at this place who recognized a lot of gods, of really terrible gods. All kinds of horrible things would happen around those festivities. And I just imagine that Jesus is standing right there and as he points And as he's responding to Peter, he points at this cave and there's an altar and a spring down there. And that cave was referred to as the gates of Hades. Because that was believed to be the entrance to the underworld. The people there believed that that was where, that's why they worshipped these gods there. They believed that was the literal gate to hell. And here Jesus is standing there and he's saying, okay, who do you say that I am? And when Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter says, you are right. And that is what I'm going to build my church on. Peter had a part to play, but I think what Jesus was saying when he said, that's what I build my church on, is he was building it on Peter's profession of who he was The church is not built on any person. The church is built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation of the church. And then whenever Jesus said that, He said, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And He points back and He said, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So the world's way of doing things, the world's way of the the secularism of holding on, of trying to push push back on the truth of who Jesus is, it will not overcome the truth of where I am building my church, which is on the rock that was exemplified in Peter. I'm not going to dismiss Peter completely. He had an important role to play. But it was on what Peter believed about Jesus. That was the important thing about what the church was being built on, is that Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation of the church. That's why the church is still around today. Listen, we have gotten into the church and we've done all kinds of things, right? We've tried to figure out, okay, how do we, uh, how do we organize this? How do we structure this? All that stuff, there's been people who have gone into the church to manipulate it. How can the church benefit me? We've used the church to do all sorts of uh, things. And you're like, how could it still survive? Because it's founded on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that goes and can defeat the gates of Hades, right? That's why the church has power. That's why the church has done so many things. Not because of one individual denomination, one individual place of worship, because the church is a bunch of people who have chosen to do like Peter, And say, yes, I believe in who Jesus Christ is, and I'm going to try to to live my life in light of that. And we don't do it perfect, but man, whenever you do it, you can storm the gates of hell, right? That's what the church is about. That's why the church is still changing things. And one of the things, and I I said it in the early service, I I wanted to give a soapbox warning, because I can get on a soapbox whenever I start talking about this, because it's become very common now because we live in a, a very secular society, right? And, and people know a whole lot and in some ways it's harder today than it was even back then because back then people believed literally that that was the gate to hell right? Mm-hmm. They didn't have a problem believing in spiritual things right? right. right? And, but, but uh, So Jesus was saying no you need to tell them what the right spiritual thing is right? Well, now, today, we, a lot of people are dismissing even that, saying, oh, Jesus, he's the same as the Pan God, right? And if you wouldn't believe the, in the God of Pan, why would you believe in you know, Christianity, right? That's basically what a lot of people, where they are, are thinking. So that's, that's, a, that's a challenge for us. And so we, we struggle with how do we reach people with the truth of who Jesus is? And sometimes I think what, what's happened is people have lots to attack us with, And one of the biggest ones is they can say, how can you believe in a God who is represented by a church who would do this stuff? And everyone has examples. You have big examples, like the Crusades, you know, like this Inquisition, you know, you have those kind of things. But then we've all experienced personal little things, you know, from as simple as, you know, that person at church was kind of mean to me. You know, I thought they're not supposed to be mean, Right. To people have actually have real grievances where the church has taken advantage of people or done something wrong. I don't deny any of that, right? And and so I think sometimes we hear all of that and we nearly, we're like, man, I, I just don't even want to mention the word church because there's nothing that I can hold on to to fight back against. I have to concede all of that. Well, you know what? You don't. You can agree and say, yeah, the church is not perfect and we should do that. We don't defend blindly. But you know what? The church, the the movement of God, the movement of Jesus has transformed the world. And it's come in different ways. Sometimes it's specifically because of a certain organized group that calls itself a church. Sometimes it's just because of a group of people who are dedicated to believing and living out the call of Christ. But listen, the church has transformed the world. I want to just talk about a few things that have changed in the last 2,000 years. The idea of human rights did not exist in B.C. basically. (laughs) People didn't care. They didn't didn't value people as individuals. Our our thought process of understanding that everyone should be valued, now we don't always act that out right, (laughs) but now I think most people would say, yes, every individual is valued. Where does that come from? That comes from a biblical understanding of that we are created in the image of God. Why do the vast majority of people, even if they believe that religion is all a hoax, why do they believe in that truth? Because of the message of the church, right? It's slowly it has permeated and it's changed society, it's changed the way we look at people. The idea of women, and this is an important one because today there's a, a lot right now that are into uh, you know, dealing with women's rights and things like that, which is important. And we need to always look at that because, again, everyone is equal. But it, it seems like you know, a lot of people are like, man, we're still, you know, we, we still treat women so poorly. And, and a lot of times it is blamed on the church, right? The church has antiquated views of women, right? And that's what's led to, to the oppression of women. In some cases that is, that is true and how that was acted out. But it, <laughs> the church was the first group that actually looked and said, you know, the way that we treat women as property is wrong. Jesus was a radical in his view of women. Right? Women were completely treated as property and the church said, no, that is not right. The church was the first one in Rome. You know, it was you couldn't you weren't supposed to kill Roman citizens, but it, it was actually okay by law for you to to abandon your female child, not your male child, but your female child. You were and if you it was okay for you to abandon them. The church said no. That's not right. They stood up against that. The the it was it was a, a law that within 2 years a widow which by the way most of the women at some point would have been a widow back then, right? Even today you see that a lot, but for sure back then within 2 years a widow had to be married. Why? Because she was property. If she didn't have a husband to claim her as a property, then she was she wasn't wasn't anything, right? So it was a law that a woman had to be married. The church said, "No." That's why the church stood up and cared for widows and orphans, right? Because the, the, the government, the society didn't care about that. The church did, right? You, even, even the things that we have been used against the idea of fe- uh, uh, feminism and things like that in a modern day was done to protect the woman. Back then it was perfectly okay for a man to have a mist- mistress living in the home with him, Right? That was completely normal, and, and even if they weren't living in the home, it was fine. Could a, now, could a wife have a, what would be the opposite of a mistress? I don't know what the, what's the, there is no, <laughs> that proves the point, right? Because no one cares, right? <laughs> so no one, no one cared back then. And the church actually said, no, if you, one, you don't have a mistress, Two, they said if, you, if a woman lives with you in your household, you should marry them. Right? That was to protect the woman. Right? And, and then it just goes on and on of what the, the church was transforming the way people thought about women. The fact that we have our arguments of the inequality of women today is because of how the church radically shifted the way that society viewed women. You know, that, that's a good thing. Same thing with children, uh, slavery. Christianity was the first organized group of people to unilaterally look at slavery and say it's wrong. And this is going all the way back to Roman times, right? We, we only see slavery a lot of times in terms of how it impacted America, it's impacted the world forever. Right? And Christianity was the first group that looked at that and said, you know, this doesn't fit with what we believe about Christ. Now could they change it overnight? No. But there are countless um, examples of Christians going and buying slaves just to set them free. Not only here in America, but way back then. right? Because they knew this is not right. And so they were working to set slaves free. The the British um, evangelical, his name is William Wilberforce. He's responsible for the close of the uh, slave trade from Britain. He he was passionate about it because of his faith, because he was part of the church, right? And he got it shut down. Two-thirds of the members of the uh, abolition movement in and abolition society in 1835, two-thirds of them were not just Christians. They were Christian ministers. So more than likely, well over 90% of that group would have considered themselves Christian. But two-thirds of them were Christian ministers, Mm -hmm. right? Because the, the church knew that slavery's wrong, and that, so the church is, was attacking that. That was, that was coming straight. Slavery comes from hell, and the church was attacking that. right? The church has done so many things. The idea of charity didn't even exist until the church came about of, of actually giving to help others. That was, that was all formed by, by the church now. Nowadays, there's a lot of people who have nothing to do with the church will give to charity, right? Well, that's because of two thousand years of church history that we st- we see things completely different. We don't even realize how much the church and the message of Christ has impacted us. Our whole ideas on marriage and family revolutionized by the by the church. The church is what has has st- started thinking about that differently. I love this one. We wouldn't have modern science without the church. Now that gets everybody upset because like, there's a lot of Christians who don't want to be associated with science and science sure doesn't want to be associated with Christianity. But uh, Pascal, Newton, Pasteur all of them were Christians. The reason why they cared enough to actually start investigating is because they believed that God created this world and he wanted us to take care of it. Right? Most people in all of these other uh, pagan religions had a very fatalistic view of the world. Right? It's like, oh it is as it is, whatever happens, happens. Why would you want to find out more about a world that is so fatalistic? You wouldn't. Science is around because people were passionate because of the church, the message of the church. Art, music, literature, I mean, you know, all the great composers, uh, most of the great uh, you know, the painters, things like that, they became great and what they were doing was directly tied to the church. Now were all of those people perfect and wonderful Christians? No. But it influenced everything. The church it is unbelievable what it's done and people don't even recognize it. And I think it's important for us to understand That the movement of the church, yes, it's messy whenever we start viewing the church as an institution. But when we look at the church for what it truly is, is a group of people who say unequivocally, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I believe that, and I'm going to live my life differently because of it. Then the church can storm the gates of hell and can make a difference. It's been doing it over and over and over, even while the institution of the church has been doing some really crazy things, right? And I think it is so important for us to understand that we are part of something really big and the church is powerful, right? And yeah, we can debate on how the best way to organize is, but God doesn't care so much about that. I really don't think so. I think what he cares about is what you believe and then how you're living in response to that, right? And that, it is not about a church gaining power or fame in order for it to fight the gates of hell. No, it's about going to that foundational understanding of who Jesus is and what he calls us to do. The church has radically changed the world around you. And don't let anyone say anything different. It has changed things, and it's changed things for the good. And people don't realize it because... The gates of hell are still battling, right? And man, it is the message of the church is the way that we battle that, that we fight back against the untruth and that we reveal the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so that when Jesus looks at the church today, he can say, that is my rock. That's where I've built what I'm doing in the world. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you. Thank you for your church. And Lord, we know that we have messed up in so many ways how we do do church, but we know that that foundational principle, the rock of the church of you being the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that that is a message that still transforms the world today. Lord, I pray that we will take that message with us. And that we will live our life in response to that each and every day. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be your witnesses into the world. In Jesus' name we ask you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas, 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org. Or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.